Um, so imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern and the emphasis is on the word pattern. It is pattern mm. where somebody feels like they're not good enough in spite of their accomplishments. So despite evidence to the contrary, we feel like all the things I mentioned, not good enough, not worthy, not deserving, like our voice doesn't matter, we don't matter, where the evidence shows us the opposite. Staying motivated takes work. If you don't work on your motivation, you become unmotivated. Join Umar Jang as he shares inspirational stories and tips to get you motivated to do whatever you need to do. This is the Motivational Voice Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Motivational Voice Podcast. This is session number 48. In today's episode, we are talking about imposter syndrome. In preparing for this episode, I learned a shocking statistic. A recent study revealed that 80% of adults experience imposter syndrome at some point in their lives. 80%. This number just blows my mind because it means that statistically you, my friend, who's listening to this right now, statistically you might be experiencing imposter syndrome. So, what is imposter syndrome? Why should you care about it? And most importantly, what can you do to address its impact? Very shortly, I will be talking with my guest, Cheryl Anjanette. Cheryl is a mindset and business coach who literally wrote the book on imposter syndrome and as such has some great tips and insights on how to identify imposter syndrome and some of the things related to your personal tendencies that might make you more predisposed at experiencing imposter syndrome and what you can do about it. So without further ado, let's start the conversation. Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Would you take a second and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. So um, you might think of me as a mindset and business coach, Kind of everything I do is that intersection between mindset and business. And that comes from over 30 years in the business world. Um, three-time entrepreneur. I've been the, in the executive C-suite of a couple of billion-dollar companies and all those different positions that lead to that. We don't start in the C-suite. Um, but then I also did the deep dive into the healing arts, integrative hypnotherapist, NLP master. I did a clinical certification in stress, anxiety, and emotional regulation. Um, I completed an advanced certification in cognitive behavioral neuroscience. And really all that's to say that I like to have that nice wide tool belt so that I can I can really help people wherever they are because we're all very unique. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you weren't busy at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was over a long period of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like you've been around and you've you you know the corporate world very well. Yeah, um, I jumped around as well in the corporate world, but maybe not as much as, as you did. You know, <laughs> I in healthcare and and IT and and sales and so on. But you you talked about mindset among other things, and one of the things that I want to talk about today specifically was your the work that you do around imposter syndrome specifically. What got you into 
into doing that work, working specifically with imposter syndrome? Well, that's such a good question. You know, when I first um, really understood the term imposter syndrome, because like a lot of people, I had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I once I understood what it was, I realized that I've been living with it for decades. But that being said, at the time, I heard this term imposter syndrome and my ears perked up. And at the time, I was working with groups and trainings around um, manifestation. And I was teaching people how to manifest by design, not default, how to, you know, because we're always manifesting, we're always manifesting. So are you just kind of manifesting by default or by design? And we were, I was working with people and helping them get in alignment. And I realized that so many people were frustrated because they were getting the same that they already have. They felt like they were doing all the work. They were doing their affirmations and they were paying attention to their thoughts and and doing all the things. And yet, why were they kind of manifesting haphazardly? Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Or getting more of what they had or in so many cases, the opposite of what they were asking for, the opposite of what they really wanted. And so as I explored um, imposter syndrome, I realized, wow, this is like an umbrella for all those cracks in the foundation, all those gaps, those things that are keeping people back from really getting what they want, really, you know, having that manifestation, you know, unlocking that manifestation, I should say, just unlocking it. So um, I took a deep dive and then I realized that you know, this is where I need to work. This is where I need to go. And so I started to open rooms in the audio app clubhouse. And I had rooms full of people every week, just talking about imposter syndrome, listening to their stories, working with them, coaching. And as I did so, I heard their stories and I heard their pain. You know, it wasn't academic. You know, people feeling not good enough, feeling like they didn't belong, feeling like they they were comparing themselves to everyone else and didn't measure up. They were holding themselves back and self-sabotaging in so many ways and just living with this constant anxiety, even though they were very accomplished. You know, even though they were very accomplished, they didn't feel accomplished. Even though the evidence said the opposite, they still felt like they were going to be found out as not being as good as other people thought they were. And that just led me to say, you know, I need to work in the space and, and really write a book because that's the, that's the piece. I can work with groups and I can work one-on-one which really get this message out that you can get past imposter syndrome and here's how to do it. Yeah, that's a, an interesting uh, uh, description of it. And I was going to ask, actually, how would you define imposter syndrome? But you touch on some of the, I suppose, the symptoms of how it, it manifests. But is this something that people more internalize rather than, than maybe say out loud? Or is this a combination of both in terms of how they feel about themselves? Yeah, it's, it's a combination. But let's let's go back to that definition because I did jump over it. And I think it's it's an important starting point, right? Um, So imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern, and the emphasis is on the word pattern. It is pattern, Mm. where somebody feels like they're not good enough in spite of their accomplishments. So despite evidence to the contrary, we feel like 
all the things I mentioned, not good enough, not worthy, not deserving. Like our voice doesn't matter. We don't matter. Where the evidence shows us the opposite, you see. And so very highly accomplished people think um, Albert Einstein, Maya Angelou, Sheryl Sandberg, Tina Fey, um, you know, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, the list goes on and on. Have, have this experience. And actually, before the pandemic, 70% of people experienced this or identified with imposter syndrome. And since the pandemic, that number has gone up. It's something like 85% of people experience this. That and it's not crazy. just, it's yeah, it's not just for the beginner. Um, by the way, it doesn't mean you're an imposter. Imposter syndrome does not mean you're an imposter. And it doesn't mean other people think you're an imposter. It's that we feel like we're the imposter. We feel like we're fooling everyone else, right? So it is patterned and it is a disconnect, almost like a, um, if you're familiar with cognitive dissonance or, mm-hmm. you know, it's that perception does not match reality, but it's very, very real, very, very real. Now you asked, Umar, if um, this was just internalized or there are also external factors. And I said, there's a bit of both because that's really important. A lot of times people think, but there's so many things going on in my outer world, work, family, culture, what have you, that are pounding me down and telling me I'm not good enough or not allowing my voice to be heard or the biases, you know, in the workplace, whether it's gender or race or religion or whether, you know, it's um, whatever it would be, sexual orientation, whether I'm, you know, um, an immigrant, the immigrant experience. There are real, true biases, right, out there in the world, in the workplace. And it can feel like it's external. It's all coming from outside. And if somebody is really, really confident in themselves and really, enough, you know, inside feels like they're good enough and worthy and deserving, and, these, and it's simply the external triggers, hmm. It's true that can beat you down. I don't know that it would beat you down to the point where you just didn't believe in yourself anymore, but it can be very, very difficult to navigate because environment is really powerful. But that being said, most of the time, it's the internalized part of this. You know, yes, there are always external triggers, but when we feel like we're good enough, we're worthy, we're deserving, we're lovable, we're loving, our voice matters when we really deeply feel this inside, regardless of what's going on the outside, it's easier to put those things in perspective and say, look, this is temporary. I need to change jobs. I need to get through whatever this, this scenario is with this family member or you know, this part of my life or whatever it is and make a plan to change that and realize it's not, they just don't know me. It's not really a referendum. So it, it's it's easier for us to work on the inside, isn't it? That's right. the part that we can really, um, we can have the most influence. Right. Regardless of who you are and in life and what successes you've, you've accomplished, and you talked about some of, you know, Oprah and then some other celebrities, it can happen to you. Now, why is this important? Why is it important for someone to to be aware of imposter syndrome? There may be people out there who maybe think that 
perhaps the negative self-talk that they're having, saying, you know, I don't deserve this or I'm not good enough. Why am I here? I am I am a fraud. Is there something that some people that who don't even realize that that's not normal? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's such a good question. You know, so first of all, um, it's a really important discussion because the more we gain, the more success we gain, the more wealth we gain, the more status we gain, the more known we are as an influencer or a celebrity or, or a person in business or whoever that is, the more there is to lose, right? Hmm. And so if we have this internalized feeling of not good enough and we start to have these accomplishments, a lot of people will say, well, just do the thing and then you'll be confident and it will go away. But they're doing the thing. They're feeling their fear. They're doing it anyway. They're getting these successes and yet that, that feeling remains, I'm not good enough. And so they suppress it even more. There's more of this, I gotta, I gotta hide it. I gotta, I, I don't want anyone to see this, which makes them feel more like a fraud. And it actually suppressing our emotions really isn't true suppression. It's just delay. Mm. You know, emotions are energy emotion. They, you can try to suppress them. But they'll come out in one way or another. They come out usually as um, disease, um, you know, or dis-ease, physically, you know, mentally, emotionally. They'll come out in self-sabotaging behaviors. Or have you ever seen somebody that's acting like a child and you think, where's that coming from? This is a, you know, 45-year-old man acting like a 12-year-old. What's going on? Or are we all kids? Are we all teenagers? Why is everyone gossiping? Why are we, mm. you know, why are we acting this way? And it's because those emotions have been suppressed. They're going to come out in one way or another that is not healthy. So the more you suppress that, the more you repress that, the more they come out in other ways with executives, you know, or people that are just running, especially, you know, in the height of their career and their just running on adrenaline, they're always stressed, they're just depleting their adrenal glands and they're they're always beating themselves up for not being good enough, but nobody else can see it. Um, they get to a point of burnout, they really do. You can get to a place of burnout. You know, you can have serious, serious health consequences. The other thing is that we stop seeing things clearly. You know, our belief lens is already distorted. And our perceptions are destroyed. So if we're out in the business world, perhaps we're not just doing this to ourselves. Perhaps we're projecting this on others. Then we're doing things and we stop and we go, ooh, you know, I probably shouldn't have handled that that way. But it can be difficult to unring a bell, right? So sometimes people just try to prove they're right and keep going forward because we don't want to step back and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, so it's difficult, but it's important, important work. It just right. requires going to kind of a vulnerable place. Yeah. For someone who might be listening and, and says, okay, well, I, I admit I have imposter syndrome. I did, maybe didn't realize that's what it was. Why does it matter for that person to be aware of having imposter syndrome? Yeah. For, well, first of all, one of the things I would encourage everyone to do, it's a slight mind um mind shift, but it's super important, is to use a different word than have, because when you have something, you own it. 
You can do this with disease as well. If somebody has cancer, stop saying I have cancer. Don't own it. Just say I'm experiencing this. So you'll notice whenever I talk about imposter syndrome, I always say experience imposter syndrome. I never say suffer. Mm -hmm. I never say struggle. Why? Because it can feel like a struggle and it can feel like you're suffering and you can feel like you have it. I'm not denying that. But your subconscious mind is always listening. It's always listening. It's awake when you, even when you're asleep and it's paying attention. It's non-literal. I mean, I'm sorry. It's non-critical. It's literal and it's non-critical. And so it's going to believe whatever you tell it. So it doesn't seem easier to change something that you're experiencing rather than something that you're struggling with or something you're suffering with. Yes. So if you'd like to get past this and you don't want it to keep hanging on, one of the you know great reframes is to change that word, change that word from struggle or suffer to experience. Right. Um, Admitting and, that. And, oh, sorry to interrupt, but it's almost admitting that words have power and the words that you actually choose can affect how you perceive a certain situation or how you perceive it affecting you. Absolutely. And that applies to our thoughts. And that applies to our self-talk. That applies to anywhere we're using language. Um, and the reason, the reason that it's so important for people to understand, to have that awareness of it first, is because that's always the starting point. We don't know what we don't know, even when we think we do. Mm. We don't know what we don't know, even when we think we do. Awareness is always the first step. It's about making the unconscious conscious. And that can be hard because suddenly it's there and it's like, I don't really like that. I don't want to look at it. Can I just take it back away? And that's what most people do. That's what a lot of people do. But the second step, and I actually have this chart, this in my book. So my book actually goes through a journey from awareness to insight and then to alignment. Because once you've had the awareness and you have the insight into how this is affecting you, and the costs and how it's attached to your beliefs. Now you can go through a phase of aligning, get, getting back in alignment, back into what I call the healthy zone and the adaptive place. And then integration, because we need to become that fully integrated whole person, whole life, whole person. So that's, that's a journey. It doesn't have to be a long journey like mine was. It doesn't need to be decades. It doesn't even need to be years. It can be months, but you... You know, it's not overnight. It's not one and done. It's not a silver bullet. Getting our mind and our habits right is very important for our well-being. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But taking care of our bodies and especially what we put in it is equally as important. That's why I try to take those gummy vitamins every morning, but I can't for the life of me remember to take them consistently. So I was recently introduced to a better option from Athletic Greens. It's called AG1. When you take AG1, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, and adoptogens, and they help you start your day right. This blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, 
immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and even aging. What's amazing about this product is that it contains less than one gram of sugar and has no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or anything artificial, but it still tastes good. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now, you can reclaim your health and strengthen your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water daily. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, one thing actually I want, I think you, you went into it, which was for someone experiencing experiencing uh, imposter syndrome, what would be some of those natural things that they need to do, or perhaps even, uh, I think you, you went into some of that, which is what are maybe two or three things that they can do to start addressing that imposter syndrome? And I think you went into into them, you talked about aligning and being having the awareness in the first place. What other things can people do after they realize that, okay, I may be experiencing imposter syndrome, maybe perhaps the first natural thing to do after after realizing that and being aware that they have it? Yeah, so one of the things, one of the very first things, first of all, you know, when I approach imposter syndrome, which is a little different than anyone else I've, I've seen or met, um, I take a holistic approach and that's what I call an inside out and outside in approach. So it requires doing that deeper dive, going back to your early childhood, really, and seeing where your beliefs were formed. So, And I'm not talking about religious beliefs. I'm talking about beliefs about ourselves in the world. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I deserving or not? Do I deserve this or not? Does my voice matter or not? These are beliefs that come from the experiences we've had. So below the beliefs as a small child and, a, you know, an older child and a young adult will have an experience. And it's not so much the experience, but the meaning we gave it, the interpretation we had at that age and at that stage, right? And it creates a belief, oh, I'm not good enough. And then my mind is wired to look for evidence to make myself right. So something else happens and I say, oh, there it is, I'm not good enough. And I keep layering on and layering on, not good enough. And maybe something comes along and I am good enough. But if the not good enough is weightier, my mind, which is already biased towards the negative to protect me, is going to go there. And so now I have this deep, deep belief that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not deserving. So we need to unravel that. We need to go almost like a root cause. We need to pull that root up, till the soil, plant new seeds. Mm. And then tender that garden so the seeds grow, new beliefs. So that's that's the inside out. And that's what I call reprogramming, right? We're reprogramming. Now, the other part is what I call the outside in, and it's the repatterning, repatterning of the mind, because our brain actually has, has what are called neural pathways. And it's literally the neurons connect in a pathway 
if we do something over and over and it becomes familiar so we can do it on autopilot, right? And so we'll have these well-worn neural pathways where things become patterned, they become habitual, mm. right? And so what happens, a lot of people don't realize this, but our beliefs become patterned, our thoughts become patterned, our self-talk becomes patterned, not just our behaviors, not just our, our actions. So it's really important to go back and rewire the mind. So we reprogram and we rewire. That means looking at what those patterns are of thoughts and beliefs and changing them. So we clear it out. We, we create new beliefs, new thoughts, new self-talk. We practice enough and consistently until we create these new neural pathways. And those new neural pathways need to become the path of least resistance. The old way needs to feel uncomfortable. It becomes what um, neuroscientists call extinct. So those old neural pathways don't actually go away. They're there, but they're kind of grown in. They're, they're not the path of least resistance anymore. And it should feel uncomfortable to think the old way, believe the old way, talk to yourself the old way, if that makes sense. So that's kind of to understand my approach. Mm -hmm. Um and I will give you a couple of things people can do, but I just wanted to stop for a moment and see if, if you had any questions about that, because that was a lot. Yeah, no, I think that resonates, absolutely resonates. The fact that you mentioned repetition, it's it's funny. We talk a lot about, about habits and goals on, on this show. And one of the things that I also talked about was exactly what you brought up, which is repetition, whether it's the good thing that you repeat over and over, the good habit, or the the negative thing that you repeat over and over, you, our brains are really, really powerful in becoming our allies if we let them, or becoming our worst enemies if we let them as well. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that that uh, part of what you said. One thing I, I did want to ask you about that really resonated with me was earlier when you were talking about the definition of imposter syndrome, the one thing you mentioned was not feeling good enough or having those feelings of not being good enough despite the evidence. Can you talk more about that, the, the ev evidence side of it versus how we're feeling in, in terms of that, uh, that dichotomy between the two? Yeah, so we all have accomplishments, right? We all have accomplishments. It's certainly easy to take someone that's highly accomplished, that has a lot of degrees and, and has good work history and maybe has been an executive and or is a celebrity and has a lot of great films out there, or is a major influencer and people just show up to hear them. And, you know, it's easy to look at them from the outside. You or I would look at them and say, wow, that person is, is just, you know, rocking it. It's they're, they're just, I don't like to say killing it. So you can say, you can tell I'm trying to use a different word than killing um, because our subconscious mind is always listening, but um, but, you know, uh, you know, we can see that people like that, that are highly, highly accomplished, but even somebody that's new in the business world or not as accomplished or not well known has their accomplishments, you know, don't have to have advanced degrees or whatever it is you have that you do. We all have our, our zones of genius. We all have things if we were to sit down and write them down are things that we do really well and we've done, you know, and we can look at them. You know, and if it were someone else, we'd look at it. Let's say if it was your list, I'd say, Mar is amazing. He's had this podcast for seven years. He shows up consistently for his people. It's amazing. 
you know, the types of guests he's been able to bring on. And I could go on and on, for example, about you. But if I were to say it about me with imposter syndrome, it's like, oh, that doesn't really matter. That's not that big of a deal. Well, I was just lucky, you know, or mm. I can't do it again. Maybe I did that great film that one time, but I'll never get to do it again. Or maybe they're always showing up for me now, but watch the next time I show up, no one will show. Um, or I'll step into that meeting and I get this, I've given this presentation over and over and I'm going to give it now and I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to forget everything. So no matter what it is, we never feel like we're good enough. There are actually um, seven archetypes that I use. I have a framework for people to understand how it's showing up. Would that be helpful? Yeah. I When I was uh, preparing for the interview, actually one thing that drew me to to your approach to talking about imposter syndrome was how you tied it to these specific archetypes. Absolutely. Yeah. If you could touch on those seven archetypes briefly, that would be absolutely wonderful for people to understand how the two uh, relate to, to one another. Yeah. And, you know, this is not meant to be a label in any way. And it's not a test. Um, I'll, I'll just say straight up that I experienced all seven of these archetypes, all seven so if you're resonating with two or three or more, you know, more than one or even all seven, you're not alone. Um, but this is a framework I put together that I found just helps people understand how imposter syndrome is showing up for them. And then you're able to look at, and these are all listed in the book, the, the different behaviors and characteristics and the ways we may be sabotaging ourselves. From these. So, first, there's the perfectionist. And there are actually three types of maladaptive perfectionism. There's the self critical perfectionist, which we kind of all know, the, the inner critic. There's um, the other, other critical perfectionist. So, we tend to be very critical of everyone else and we project our perfectionism on others and make things pretty difficult for others. Yes, I did that. <laughs> and, um, and then there is the um, culturally, um, socially, um, I would say it's a social perfectionism that is something that comes from culture or family or a job that requires a very high level of precision, like an, a doctor or an attorney or an architect, engineer, that sort of thing. Um, so there are three types of maladaptive perfectionism. Perfectionists just feel like everything needs to be flawless. They can't make any mistakes. You know, a very common uh, experience for a perfectionist would be getting like a, a 95 or 98% on a on an exam and saying, oh, I missed 2%. I shouldn't have missed those two or that was 5%. You see, right, yeah. or everything has to be in place. Or we do, a, you do a presentation, everything goes beautifully, but you made one mistake and all you can think about is that flaw, that mistake. Um, and then there's the people pleaser. The people pleaser um, really has trouble saying no. They have a very hard time setting boundaries. They tend to put themselves last in their own life. They, they feel like if they don't say yes to everyone, they may not be accepted. They may not belong. You know, they don't want to be abandoned. And so they keep saying yes. But what happens is when you put yourself last in your own life, eventually, you start to feel resentment. Yeah. Now, as a nice person, the people pleaser doesn't want to believe they're 
resentful, but that's what happens. Or they begin to feel like the victim or the martyr. And then there's the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger has trouble delegating. They feel like they need to go it alone because if they ask for help, someone might figure out that they're not good enough to do it on their own. You know, collaborative environments are very difficult for the Lone Ranger. They'll often want to either take over and take the lead or go way back and sit in the backside. They, they just have a hard time with that piece. Um, there is the master. The master feels like they need just one more degree or one more certification to be good enough. I'll do it when. Uh, there is the savior. The savior feels like they need to come and save the day every time. It's up to them. They need to swoop in. And that's really where they get their validation. If they can come in and be the savior, they get validated. They're accepted. They belong. They're worthy. Um, and oftentimes in the real maladaptive zone, a savior will even look for people to save or create situations so they can come in and be the savior because they crave that validation so much. And then there is the superhero. So a lot of us know about the superhero, especially in business, we overcompensate, overdo everything. We need to be the hero, not only of our own life, but of everyone's lives. And, uh, and it can cross over a little bit with the savior, but the superhero really, really overcompensates. We feel like we have to do twice as much, three times as much just to get to the starting gate. And we'll walk into a meeting and say, I can't do any more. And we'll put three more things on our plate mm. and walk out and say, I just did that to myself. That was always me. I'm raising my hand. Me, me, me. <laughs> um, and then I say, what? Well, you just did it again. Um, and then there's the prodigy. And the prodigy is, you know, we all have our zones of genius. I've said this before. We do something really well. Maybe you're a great musician. Maybe you're amazing at math. Maybe you write really well. Maybe you just have a, the gift of gab. You know, you can talk about anything. Maybe you're really funny, a great comedian. We all have our zones of genius. But for the prodigy, they feel like they have to go from zero to hero or beginner to mastery immediately, immediately, or they're going to quit. Or they won't even get in the ring and try if they don't think they can do it. Because that in-between space of learning, that learning curve, or they call it the competency staircase, is too scary. They might slip back and they might, quote unquote, fail. You know, somebody might see that they weren't good enough or they weren't the best. And so they won't even try or they'll quit. Prodigies often find themselves quitting. So... That's those are the seven perfectionist people pleaser, lone ranger, um, the master, the savior, the superhero, and the prodigy. Yeah, I found it fascinating. I actually went on your website and took the the quiz to yeah. see where I would land. And uh, needless to say that the, the responses were uh, the results rather were were surprising to me. And it basically identified that I had a, a little bit of a being a people pleaser in me. Which, when I look back in my life, there have been times where I I was more of the the peacemaker. The uh, I still am called the uh, the peacemaker in the family. I'm the one who will reach out to the disgruntled family member and try to bring people together and say, okay, we gotta figure it out. And and so it's a very interesting survey that that you have on your website. 
I wish we had more time to dig into every one of these. I, I may have to bring you back actually at some point, <laughs> dig deeper. But can you tell me more about, and you cover these in your book, what is the title of your book? Yes, yeah, so the book is called The Imposter Lies Within, Silence Your Inner Critic, Tame Your Fear, Unleash Your Badassery. Um, and it's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, I believe, online. Um, and in some of the stores and um, that's the book. And then the imposter syndrome quiz is available on my website uh, at Cheryl and Um, It's also available on my Instagram and my LinkedIn bio. So I'm not sure where you got it. I think on the website, correct? Yeah. I went to your website and saw the quiz there and I'll make sure to add that to the show notes for this episode. Uh, but before we, we part ways, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, is there anything else you wanted to add or say to maybe someone who's listening and who is, this has been an eye opener in terms of realizing that they are experiencing imposter syndrome, I'm using your words now. Uh, what would you say to them as a final word? Well, first of all, I just want you to know that you are good enough. You're more than good enough. You are worthy, you are deserving, your voice matters, you matter. You know, these are false narratives and they can be changed. And the other thing I'd like them to know is you can get past this. There is a bridge to the other side of imposter syndrome, you know, and the self-sabotaging behavior that goes along with it. So there's a way to get past it, not just through it, not just trudging along, not just getting marginally better. Uh, so if you take the quiz, it will give you a great starting point. You'll be in my community if you want to stay. If not, you can just simply unsubscribe, no problem. And um, But that will give you a good starting point. The book is an excellent starting point. It will give you a lot of information. It's not a difficult read because it's it's written in a very conversational style, but it's very dense with a lot of information, a lot of good neuroscience. So, and there are more than 20 exercises throughout the book. So it's not just a book you read, it's a book you use. It's a book you'll go back to over and over and over. So um, as you're getting it, you know, I will have the Audible out soon, Um, but until the Audible's out, Either way, I think it's a good idea to have a copy because you might want to dog ear it and highlight it and, you know, just have something to go back to. Yeah, for those of us who like to feel, touch and see what we're actually reading, uh, yes. sometimes that can be that can come in handy to, to get yeah. the actual physical copy. Thank you very much, uh, Cheryl, for coming on the show. It, it has been a pleasure talking to you about, about this particular topic. So thank you. Well, thank you. You've been an amazing host. What a great podcast. And I just really appreciate everything. My pleasure. I hope you found my conversation with Cheryl useful. And as usual, I encourage you to take one thing from the conversation and apply it to your life. If anything, I certainly would recommend that you take the quiz to find out what archetype identifies you best. If you know what drives your imposter syndrome, you will be better prepared at addressing it. And by the way, all of the links and resources mentioned on this episode can be found on the show notes page for this episode on my website at umarjang.com forward slash session 48. 
if you learned something from today's episode, I will ask you to commit to doing one thing. Unlock your smartphone and leave us a review. Better yet, if you have a friend, a family member or a co-worker that you know would love this episode, share it with them. When you share the podcast, it really helps others discover the show and learn from the content that I share. Thank you so much for doing that. That brings us to the end of our time together. Until next time, please stay safe and motivated. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Motivational Voice Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Get show notes and the latest blog posts at omarjang.com.